Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the kennel, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64. I learned a lot about grace. Grace is a very misunderstood concept in the Bible, but I learned a lot about grace from a person that I think probably should have been named Grace, but she wasn't, and that's my wife. And as a preacher's wife, she has the un, uh, unenviable position of being talked about in numerous sermons and everything, but she's she's one of the reasons that, that I am where I am today, and um, like I said, I've learned a lot about Grace from her. I remember the first instance of true grace that I ever felt was we were getting ready for church one Sunday morning. I was getting ready to go preach at the Pecos County Cowboy Church where I was a pastor. And my wife is really, really awesome at sewing and needlework. And she's just, you know, she's just whatever she decides to do, she's good at. And she had made a bunch of stuff and she had some material left over. And she come walking in, and this material that she had used was uh, of a unique print, to say the least. And um, she had made herself this beautiful, beautiful dress with this little bandana kind of skirting on it. And I mean, I was just amazed because I didn't even know she was doing it. And sometimes guys don't think. Because she walked into the kitchen and, you know, a preacher's morning, you're getting ready and you're getting everything done and you're kind of praying at the same time and you're doing this and you're doing this. And she comes walking in and she said, what do you think? And I turned around and the first thing I saw was this Holstein cow print. She goes, how do I look? And I said, you look like a cow. Have you ever had something come out of your mouth and you're like, no, because that's not what I meant. She looked good. She did. I mean, she did a fantastic job. And you know, sometimes you think something may be funny, but it's not. <laughs> she looked at me and I was like, uh-oh. Boy, I went to backpedaling, and, and guys, I know you've all been there whenever you go to backpedaling. Well, what I meant was it, and she's like, mm-hmm. Keep going, cowboy. You in so deep now, you probably ain't never going to get out. And I was. I was in so deep that it only took her grace. It got me out of it. There was another time not too very long ago, and I won't mention any names um, just to protect the guilty. And uh, anyway, we had sponsored a local deal, I should say, and uh, for the kiddos. And we walked in the pizza place one night, and there was this organization was having this little board meeting and everything. And boy, they called us over there, and they thanked us, Save the Cowboy, for sponsoring all these kids for this deal and everything. And, you know, we were like, yeah, no problem, no problem, no problem. And then all of a sudden, one of the guys that's on the board, good friend of ours, he comes walking up. And, you know, I know that I'm not that big of a guy but my size may be a little bit deceiving to some people because he walked up and he said, hey, we want to get you a hoodie. And he said, what size hoodie do you wear? And I said, a large. He said, are you sure? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm sure. He said, well, 
We'll get you a large, but if you can't wear it, you can give it to your wife. And he went, oh. He wasn't being rude to her. He was trying to make a knock on me, but it backfired. And she looked at him and she goes, did you just call me fat? He turned about the color of these maroon chairs up here. You ever been attacked by a mad mama cow? And you're like, and you go to running off, that's exactly what he did in the pizza place. Fell down three times before he could get back to his table. It was fantastic. She likes to tell that story often, but she gave him grace. She knew that he didn't mean that or anything like that. Learned a lot about grace. You know, whenever you, you just get something good for something you did so bad, you get something just, just kind of a not guilty whenever it comes up, whenever you should be sentenced to nearly death. But what exactly is grace and how do we unleash it on our lives? We've been talking about this sermon series called Unleashed, how to unleash God's promises on your life, promises of happiness, of fulfillment, of answered prayers. There's so many things that God has told us. Unleashed power. We talked about that, how to, how to take the storms and thorns in life and turn them into God's power that we can use here on earth for His glory. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about an unleashed grace. And it is something that is so misunderstood. And I hope by the end, two minutes from now, that you will have a better understanding, so I'm going to have to use these gifts quickly. Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. Grace is the word stop right before the headsman's axe comes crashing down on our necks. Grace is getting what we didn't deserve and receiving full what we did not pay for. Think about that. See, in the old covenant, there was a fellow named Abraham. Abraham was a good fellow, cowboy. And God told him, he said, I want you to leave the land of your fathers where you grew up and I want you to go to this new place that I'm going to give you, and I'm going to make you the father of my people, that your ancestors will be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, sand, the, the grains of sand on all the beaches, more numerous than that, which that was kind of funny because this guy was about 90 years old and didn't have any kids. Shows God's power, right? So anyway, Abraham does what he's told, and God blesses him with a son. And as time goes on, God makes a covenant with him and says, you know, you're going to be my, the father of my people. Well, you kind of fast forward a, a couple of hundred years or so, and now the, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And God tells a guy named Moses, another sheep herder, cowboy, go get my people out. So Moses goes down there and gets his people out, and these people are walking around thinking they're high and mighty because they're God's people that they could do no wrong because they're God's people. And God's like, hang on just a second. Now, you are my people, but you ain't all that great. You are my people by my grace, not because of anything y'all have done or who your daddy was. And he said, if you really want to know what it's like, since you're so big on bragging on yourself, here's what it takes to be holy like I am. And he gave the law. And in order to be in right standing with God, you had to obey all of these rules and not a single person could do it. I mean, no more than you'd get made right with God, you'd turn around and that old, that old gal would walk by and you'd, dang it, got to do it again. There was a, it was a deal of sacrifices of, man, there was just so much to do. God knew we couldn't do it. 
But the point was, is we needed somebody to do it for us. I said nobody could do it, but one man eventually did. His name was Jesus. He was the son of God, born of a virgin. And he came and never made a mistake. Did you hear what I said? He never made a mistake in God's eyes. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus was, when he was learning to walk, he probably fell down. Okay? I mean, that's not a mistake. That's part of growing up. But he never sinned. And he died on the cross. The sinless man paid the ultimate price for every one of our sins so that we could spend eternity in heaven. We talked about John 3.16 last week when Jesus himself said, For my daddy so loved you, sorry son of a guns, that he sent me, his only son, to live a perfect life and die for you, and that whoever believed in me shall not die but have everlasting life. The old covenant was with Abraham. The new covenant is through Jesus Christ. You want to know what one of the scariest things as a pastor whenever I talk to people? They're not living by godly standards or anything like that, but I ask them, I said, you know, um, tell me about your Christian life. And they're like, well, I don't believe that you got to do all that Christian stuff, go to church and all that. I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. So even the devil believes in God. Believing in God don't get you to heaven. Believing in God don't get you saved. Only the blood of Jesus Christ gets you saved. And see, there's a deal called what I like to refer to as counterfeit grace. See, there's nothing that we can do. There's no amount of works that we can do to be in right standing with God. We just got to accept the free gift that He gave. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, lest any of you should boast. You cannot work your way into heaven. The only way to heaven is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's it. You would be amazed at how many Christians, and I've had pastors. What I'm fixing to do is I'm fixing to destroy the entire religious system with my, what I'm fixing to say right here. One of these days, I, and I've already been chastised, persecuted for this statement right here, and I want every one of you to know the truth. And I don't care if you're two years old or 200 years old. You listen to what I'm fixing to say. There's only one way into heaven, and that is accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and allowing him to change your life. Okay? There's only one way into hell if you didn't do what I first said. No amount of sin gets you into hell any more than any good works get you into heaven. You either have Jesus and you go to heaven, or you don't have him and you go to hell. Those two. That's it. It's the grace of God. It is a free gift. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it, but God loved us enough that he did it for us. He did what we couldn't do. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, this is going to confuse some people. I know it is. But for those of you that, that are looking for Jesus or have found him, I think this is one of the most wonderful verses in the Bible. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. In other words, we all dirty people. In God's eyes, we can't do right. We're sinful people. All of us have become like one who is unclean. Right here. And all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. Think about that. Even our best intentions, the things that we think, oh man, I did it, are like filthy rags to God. Now, for some of you, that may be disappointing because you've been trying so hard to be good and you've been patting yourself on the back. Ooh, look at how good I am. Man, 
my muscle here is getting big from just patting myself on the back because I am that good. Look at me. Look at me. You know what? All of your good stuff is filthy rags to God. What does that say to you? If even our good stuff is filthy rags to God and He still loves us, His grace covers a multitude of sin. But I want you to think about something. You can't pay off sin by doing good works. How many of you at one time in your life or maybe right now thought that heaven was a balancing scale where, they, where God put your good deeds on one side and your bad deeds on another and as long as you came out just a little bit ahead on the good that you're going to get into heaven? Don't work like that. The devil wants you to think that, but that ain't how it works. Counterfeit grace. Beating yourself up does not forgive sin. How many of you is committed a sin? Maybe there's a sin in your life and you're trying to get rid of it and you just keep falling down and you think that beating yourself up is going to make it better with God. It don't. Beating yourself up over sin, now you should change it. And in Philippians 4.16, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can get rid of it. But you know what? By holding that sin in, by holding that guilt in, you are looking up on the cross looking at Jesus Christ as he died on the cross, and you're saying, you know what? I appreciate all this suffering that you're going through, but it ain't enough to make up for my sin. That's what guilt says. Let it go. And then here's the counterfeit grace. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. That is not an ace card that you can go do whatever the hell you want to do. Let's just call it like it is. If the shoe fits, put it on and lace it up tight and wear it, sucker. Grace is not mean that you can just go out and do whatever you want to do. Let's party hard. Let's do this. Let's do that. That, don't, that ain't what grace is. Our best efforts are still infused with sin. We may do something nice, but we do it with ulterior motives. We, just, we will never be able to get right with God by working, by doing good things. Now, that doesn't mean that that's a license just to go out and do whatever the heck we want to do. But God's grace frees us, accepting the gift. I'm going to try to come up real short here because I've said a lot of things. But let me try to explain grace. And I'm going to put it in terms of money because we can generally all understand money. Let's say you have a huge mortgage on your house, one that you can never get ahead on or anything like that. And by Jesus dying on the cross, he paid that mortgage off for you. He said, you know what? Here's the title. I paid for everything. It's done. You know what a lot of us do? We keep sending the payment in. We work and we work and we work so that we can make a payment for something that is already paid for. Either that or we say, man, God, I appreciate that. Let me pay you back for that. Is that, a, is that really accepting of a gift? If you don't accept the gift, you don't have the gift. The grace of God is the door through which your life can be changed. Don't you need a change in your life right now? Have you been thinking that you need to start working harder to be a better Christian by thinking that if you do more good stuff, that God is going to somehow love you more? Bull, God can't love you any more than he loves you right now. You can't work your way into heaven. Grace sets you free. Grace is the cause of living right, not a justification for sinning. When you finally get it, some of you have. Some of you are still struggling with it. Some of you, like me, I get it and I still struggle with it. 
no amount of my preaching, no matter how good I deliver a message from God, no matter what it takes, He will not love me anymore for any good things that I do. And when I slip up, and I do it all the time, when I slip up, He don't love me any less because of grace. But when you finally understand that you don't have to go out and, and, I mean, if God tells you to become a missionary, become a missionary. But if God's not telling you to become a missionary, you can't work your way into His favor by anything. You have favor because He loves you. If you could do anything with the rest of your life. And I have just given you the answer, accepting the gift of grace truly accepting the gift of grace and having allowing it to change your lives. If you could do anything for the rest of your life, would you spend your life well or would you waste it? What would happen if we were to accept the grace of God, knowing that there is nothing that we can do to make Him love us any more than sending His Son to die for you, and that nothing that we could do as sinful people was going to make him love us any less. I gave you the key. This is a transcript of a speech entitled, What Do You Desire? by a man named Alan Watts. He was a college professor. Listen as we close. What do you desire? What makes you itch? What sort of situation would you like? Let's suppose, and I do this often in vocational guidance of students, they come to me and say, uh, we're getting out of college, and we haven't the faintest idea of what we want to do. So I always ask the question, what would you like to do if money were no object? How would you really enjoy spending your life? Well, it's so amazing. As a result of our kind of educational system, crowds of students say, well, I would like to be painters. We'd like to be poets. We'd like to be writers. But as everybody knows, you can't earn any money that way. Or another person says, I'd like to live an outdoors life. I'd like to ride horses. So I say to them, do you want to teach at a riding school? Let's go through with it. What do you want to do? When we finally got down to something which the individual says they really, really want to do, I will say to them, do that and forget the money. Because if you say that getting the money is the most important thing, you will spend your life completely wasting your time. You will be doing things that you don't like doing in order to go on living, that is, to go on doing things that you don't like doing, which is stupid. Better to have a short life that is full of what you like doing than a long life spent in a miserable way. And after all, if you do really like what you're doing, it doesn't matter what it is. You can eventually become a master of it. It's the only way to become a master of something, to be really with it. And then you'll be able to get a good fee for whatever it is. So don't worry too much. Somebody's interested in everything. And anything you can be interested in, you can find others who are interested in it also. But it's absolutely stupid to spend your time doing things that you don't like in order to go on doing things that you don't like and to teach your children to follow in the same track. See, what, what we're doing is we're bringing up children and educating them to live the same sort of lives that we're living in order that they may justify themselves and find satisfaction in life by bringing up their children to bring up their children to do the same thing. It's all wretch and no vomit. It never gets there. 
And so therefore, it's so important to consider this question. What do I desire? And that's where he ends his speech. But I ask you that question today. What do you desire? It's the most, inco- it's the most important question that you'll ever answer. Jesus gives us the desires of our hearts. Jesus gives us the desires of our hearts. That's not to say that if you desire a brownie, that Jesus is going to come and give you a brownie. He places the desires that we have. You know that thing that I was, that you were thinking about while I was reading? What makes you itch? What do you long for? Do that. See, Jesus gives us those desires. And when we fully accept that our jobs, if you can say that that's what it is, our jobs as Christians is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and love others just like we love ourselves. When we can do those things, you will be fulfilled in grace. Without grace, none of that is possible. Grace will not give you what you desire while you sit in the lazy boy. Grace gives you the desire to want to go out and do things, to live your lives according to God. Me and three other good cowboys are fixing to go to Pueblo, Colorado, and we're going to have fun for God. Get a trophy. That's right. God wants to get... Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Accept God's grace today. Unleash your life. What do you desire? God said, seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be given unto you. Do you have the courage to do that? Some of you do. And unfortunately, some of you will hang your heads because you do not have the courage to do it. It's too hard. It's too easy just to accept God's grace as the gift that it is and to wake up each morning to follow the desires that he put in your heart because somebody might question the house that you live in or the truck that you drive, or you will not be able to find your self-worth if you don't have fill-in-the-blank. Is that how you see yourself? Are you going to continue this short life, being miserable, relying on yourself instead of relying on God? Unleash God's grace on your life today. Don't leave here without it. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I'm just going to say it quick. God, you loved us so much that you went and died for us. And that grace, that eternal life, that fulfillment, that purpose, everything hinges on you. What do we desire? We desire a relationship with you. A relationship where we can come to know you. Where we can learn to depend on you, to trust on you. God, there's some people here that's been struggling. They're still struggling. God, let them just give it up right now. Give it up and go ride for you. To follow the desires that you put there. And not for themselves you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, listen up. I know God was really talking to you today. If you'd like to hear the whole story, get online and get it at www.savethecowboy.com. There you will find all you need to get where Jesus wants you to be, no matter how long or little you've been riding with him. You ought to know by now that I ain't going to jerk your leg. Okay, (laughs) maybe just a little bit. But this one ain't no story. This here's the truth. We need you to saddle up with us and keep this gospel being spread to cowboys and cowgirls like you. I'm asking you to go to SaveTheCowboy.com and make a donation to help us out. This program was brought to you in part by my good friends Jim and Kelly Gerald of Integrity Auto Repair and Rod and Brenda Denning of Tumbleweed Hay and Holly, both from Kiowa, Colorado. <laughs>